Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to. And the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be, sir. Do you maggots understand that? Sir. sir. Yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sound off like you got a pair. Sir. Yes, sir. If you ladies leave my island, if you survive recruit training, you will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, you are pukes. So there I was, episode number 19, repeat. How about that? 19. Semper Fi, do or die. Slightly a little different than our other interviews because um, uh, uh, instead of having an aviator on, we have Take It Away. Not an aviator, not an aircraft mechanic, not an aircraft controller, someone who has nothing to do except everything to do with naval aviation aside from the naval academy guys every naval aviator had to get by a marine drill instructor so we had with us tonight gunny go i've known him for 35 years and uh, he he did eight years of his 20 years on the drill field he was a a uh, recruit drill instructor at paris island he was a Marine Corps officer, drill instructor at OCS, and he was a Navy uh, aviation officer, candidate school drill instructor in Pensacola. So he has touched so many Marine uh, and Naval aviators, it's probably uh, hard yeah. to count. I, I'm willing to bet a steak dinner we get some comments from listeners who were under the tutelage of Gunny Go at one point Gunny or Go. another. Gunny <laughs> Go. Yeah. So, yeah. I... I had so much fun listening to his stories. As a matter of fact, like I was saying off the air, I feel like I've done a thousand crunches. I laugh so hard. I, I could hardly breathe. I was <laughs> laughing so hard at some of his stuff. So uh, uh, another one, strap in. You're going to enjoy this one. Be prepared to, if you're listening in the car to pull over on the side of the road. That is how all great aviation stories start. And this one's got sort of a twist. Isn't that right, my friend? Repeat. It does, Fig. Greetings. Yeah. So almost without fail, every naval aviator has to get by one man before they become a naval aviator, with the exception of the guys who go to Canoe U, as we lovingly refer to the Naval Academy. You have to get by a Marine drill instructor. And we have the honor tonight to join with us, retired First Sergeant, United States Marine Corps, but we're going to refer to him tonight as Gunny Go. Gunny Go, welcome. And where are you, uh, where are you tonight, sir? Thank you. Um, I'm currently in Yuma, Arizona. Well, we've all been that's there. That's where, man. after I retired, that's where I moved to was Yuma, Arizona. Outstanding. Very nice. Well, welcome aboard. So a uh, little bit of background. I met I met Gunny Go in probably 1985 or 1986, and he had just completed a tour on the drill field at AOCS for Pensacola, training aviation officer candidates. But that isn't his only time on the drill field. He started off in Paris Island, 
Then he did some time at Camp Upshur, which many, many Marines will will say, Camp Upshur still owes me an apology. <laughs> Am I right, Fig? <laughs> That's a, yeah. 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 <laughs> but Gunny oh. Go, you don't owe us an apology. In fact, we no. uh, we owe you and all Marine officers and Navy officers who, under your tutelage, uh, managed to get through officer candidate school, owe you a, a debt of gratitude. Uh, you you busted our chops, you busted our nuts, uh, but you taught us some valuable life lessons. Um, I, so I I, I, I got to add to that, uh, Gunny Go. I I can say there's probably not a day that goes by when I don't think about my aviation career in the Marine Corps that I don't think of my drill instru- my drill instructors. And that's the honest truth. What an imp- what an impact that you you made. I appreciate that. You know, I just can't understand sometimes I see on Facebook and they talking about they asking the other Marines like 50 years ago who was your drill instructor, what platoon you was in. And a lot of them said, well, I, I can't really remember. I can't recall. I, I don't understand that because I can guarantee you I still to this day remember the platoon and the drill instructors I had, and I would never forget them. Oh, there you go. Well, I'll let never me forget ask mine. Yeah. I'll never forget mine, repeat. Will you forget yours? Never. Not in no. a million years. But <laughs> no. So I got to ask then. So, so Gunny Go, uh, when and where did you go through boot camp, and what was the funniest thing you ever saw? as a recruit or what was the most frightening thing you ever saw as a recruit? And could you believe your eyes and ears when you saw it? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, I went, I went through, I just turned 17 on July the 4th of 1971. And then 10 days later, I was at Paris Island, South Carolina on July the 14th as a recruit in third battalion platoon 367. And uh, it was many a night after getting there, I woke up and I asked myself, what have I done? <laughs> but then I took, it one, I took it one day at a time. And I guess the most rememberable thing was one time some of my drill instructors had some allegations that was brought against them. And um, I remember I was held over for legal hold. Actually, our whole platoon was held over for legal hold. And I remember the reviewing officer or the uh, the lawyer, whoever it was, asked me a question. Well, did you see so-and-so do this to this private? I said, no, sir. The private has always been taught not to eyeball the area, sir, so the private saw nothing. And I thought to myself, you know, and then I could hear a little snicker out of the uh, investigating officer there. But it was true. Oh yeah, you damn straight it was. <laughs> yeah, you would people say stand at attention. You you didn't eyeball. You didn't look out of the out of your. You didn't turn your eyes. As far as you know, no. <laughs> that that's right. Cause no. when I when I was a private down there, if, if they were gonna do any uh, I say uh, extra corrected stuff, then everybody used to, we used to get metal buckets that we would pick up at receiving that had your scrub brush in there and a, and a cleanup towel and so forth of what you wash your laundry in. And we used to have to take the buckets and we'd put on our head and nobody could see nothing. Then a drill instructor would walk around and he would make whatever adjustments he thought needed to be made. And you'd hear that big old bucket 
go pow, 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 hitting on the quarter deck. And you were thinking, oh, my goodness, I hope he's not in front of me now. So you'd be looking down under that bucket and you'd be watching for those glassy shoes to go by you. And you think, and about the time you let out that breath, then somebody beside you would get his uh, corrective uh, incentive uh, handed to him. So I was always, I was always happy when them shoes passed me by. Well, oh, I've already God. felt like I've done about seven thousand crunches just on that first little bit there. Thank you, Gunny Go. <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful I'm having thing. Having some flashbacks of my yeah, own. This is was, awesome. Yeah. But I want, I want to know that was probably the, that was probably the proudest, one of the proudest moments in my life was the day I was able to stand there and graduate. Right, and put on the Eagle Especially Globe and anchor for the first time. Do what? And put on the Eagle Globe and anchor for the first time. The first time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that that was outstanding. I'll, I'll never forget that. Oh, that's amazing. So after, the, uh, after all that fun as a recruit, you decided to return. Yeah, and, fun. That's what and, I and had pay, fun. And pay the favor back. Pay it forward. <laughs> yes, it did. When 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 did you do your so uh, so after you graduated from boot camp? What what was your MOS? What did you do right out of the gate there in 1971? Okay, right out right out of the gate, my MOS was motor transport, and the whole whole 20 years I was in the Marine Corps, I was probably probably spent a total of four years in that MOS because right out of boot camp, I was motor transport. And from there I went to Camp Lejeune and I stayed, I stayed at Camp Lejeune. And then uh, I'm like any other Marine. I was wanting to go to Vietnam at the time, you know, and I was trying my best to find whatever way I could to get over there. So I re I mean, I uh, put in to go overseas and they had a billet for me to go to 1st Marine Air Wing over as motor transport. Well, I got over there just to only find out that the 1st Marine Air Wing has been brought back from Vietnam. So that kind of busted my bubble a little bit there. So I stayed for a year there in Iwakuni, Japan. And after uh, doing a year there at Iwakuni, I got I called my monitor up and asked him, could I go to Quantico, Virginia? He said, well, sure. Well, by this time, I was already a meritorious corporal I made over there in Iwakuni. I've been in about probably 14 months when I was meritorious corporal. Wow. And then I went to Quantico and went to support battalion. And I checked in there. And uh, I remember the colonel telling me there, he said, you know, we need a good, fine Marine to run the mail room. What do you think about that? I said, well, I've never done nothing with the mail. He said, I'm sorry, you'll be fine. So I ran this uh Port Battalion Mailroom, I picked up Sergeant, and then this is where I got to be a drill instructor. During that summer, they came out and they had all the big influence of all the PLCs and everything going to Camp Pupshire and so forth. Well, during the winter months, they only have a small number of 8511, which are drill instructors there at OCS all, all year round. So what they do in the summer, they go out and they go out to the commands and, and they sh- solution the best sergeants that they have out there that done real well in NCO school and so forth. So boy, I volunteered for that and I went out there to Camp Upshire for the summer. And I'll be honest with you, I, I fell in love with it out there. 
I uh, I was a sergeant instructor out there for that summer, uh-huh. and then right out, this was the summer of '73. Then right after that, in 1974, uh, after I finished that summer, I re-enlisted. And you know when you re-enlist back then, you could re-enlist for any duty station you wanted to go to. Well, I re-enlisted to go to be a drill instructor at Paris Island. And can you imagine that? Everybody else is fighting to get out of those orders because a lot of people don't like to go down there and be drill instructors because it's such a challenging duty. But I re-enlisted to go there. I went down there as, as December 1974. I checked in down there at Paris Island, the DI school down there as a sergeant, a 21-year-old sergeant. And I went through DI school. I did real well there. I finished in the top 10. And then I went on over to 3rd Battalion over there at where I was observing at 3rd Battalion and uh, at Paris Island. And I ran into Sergeant Major Lashley. He was the battalion sergeant major over there at the time. And he was my Sergeant Major in Iwakuni, and he's the one that promoted me to uh, Meritorious Corporal. So he knew me, and he told me, he said, you're coming back to 3rd Battalion when you finish DI school. So sure enough, when I finished, I got orders to 3rd Battalion. And the very, very first platoon I worked was in India Company, 3rd Battalion, the exact same squad I was in as a recruit. Wow. And you got to be kidding me. No. And before we picked up, I went down there and stood on laundry number 30 because that was my laundry number when I went through as a recruit. And it was the very first platoon I worked that happened. How about and that? So I stayed down there at Paris Island. Yep. I stayed there at Paris Island as a drill instructor. And uh, my last six months, I was down there. I went out to the swimming pool out there. And I became a uh, WSI out there, water safety instructor, right, right. for the last six months. Well, I've got to ask, how did the recruit do that took, picked up laundry number 30 in your first platoon? I'm guessing he didn't get any easy treatment. Oh. <laughs> Just a guess. No, I guarantee you he done. I, I enjoyed staying up and said, laundry number 30, get your ass up here in the corner, boy. I enjoyed that. And I mean, he come up there and I could just actually see him sweating and then puddles of sweat on that deck down. And I'm thinking about when I was up there as a recruit, you know, uh-huh. and I just kept pouring it on him. That must so, have been, that must but have been I did. surreal. I mean, I thought that was something. That is, that would have been surreal indeed. So Gunny Go, I've got to ask you though, um, OCS is tough. Boot camp is tough. I, I have to guess that drill instructor school has got to be one of the toughest schools in the Marine Corps. There's no slacking. It, it was. I, it, it was. I found it very challenging. But, you know, I, I, I really, I stayed there, of course, and I studied, and on the weekends I studied. And, but you got to be prepared for all time. It wasn't just one uniform. You had to have two or three ready to go because you changed two or three times a day. And every morning, you know, you always got up, made sure everything was cleaned up, and the physical training was the very first thing. And if the if the uh, province ran three miles, we ran six miles. So you ran double everything that the province did. They go through the confidence course or the old course one time. We had to go through it two times. Right. Hey, and uh, I, I, just, I, I have to stop. Oh, and, I have a quick question for you, Gunny Go. You, 
you made mention that you had to have all these uniforms ready to go. Now I'm, I'm making an assumption, but I want you to, I want you to square me away here. Is it because you always had to have, you always had to look like you weren't sweating and you had to have a perfect uniform. Is that why you always had to have an extra uniform? Yes. Well, what would happen would be like, for instance, the, the uniform of the day for the first class would be Charlie's. All right. Then you get out of that class. Then they would tell you, okay, the next, the next class would be drill. And you had to come out there and spit shine boots and starch utilities. Back then it's when we wore the satis. Right. And we sent everything to the laundry to get those starches in and stuff. That beautiful starch cover. And you had to be just right to the max. And they'd always do an inspection on you. And I haven't ever in my life picked so many Irish pennants as I did when I was in, in DI school. <laughs> right. And, I mean, they would just ding you for the littlest thing. Oh, sure. So for our listeners, an Irish pennant is nothing more than a tiny thread that may be coming off a button or the end of your collar. A seam. Or, or a seam. Or a seam. Anywhere on your blouse, a.k.a. shirt, or your trousers. Name tag. Yeah. Anything, any anywhere. any tiny little thread that came off was referred to, because it was green, was referred to as an Irish pennant. So, sorry for the interruption, Gunning Go. Go ahead. That's okay. And then you also had to, when you were in DI school, you, you not only had to teach the drill, but you had to teach it word for word just out of the manual. You could not even skip anything. It had to be word for word, and that's the way you would get graded on it. And we would stand for hours out there on our own time practicing our command voice. I mean, when you first start out, you're a horse. You can barely talk, but you learn how to use that diaphragm. And I remember we're standing out there just yelling at trees and people. People be driving by, you know, they just kind of turn their heads and look at you. Yellow you know, and they say, like, man, what, look at that lunatic. Yeah. But I'm sure after so many of them, they, they knew what was going on. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it very much. I was really happy when I graduated from it. That was another very uh, great time in my career when I graduated from DI school. Absolutely. But then after that, the I mean, the hours the hours were really rough. You know, I, I can understand people that go down there married, how, you know, it really takes a strong uh, marriage to survive on the drill field because it was nothing to work 16 hours a day for seven days a week, especially in first phase and, and being a brand new assistant drill instructor. You was there almost as much as the province was. The first three weeks, she was there from Reveille to Taps. Right. And then after that, then every third night, you would have to stay all night with the recruits. But the, the two nights that you got off, you didn't get off and then until like maybe 7 o'clock at night or 8 o'clock. So, yeah, it was very long hours and, down there. And then, and then what would you do? You went home and you pressed your trousers and your, and your blouse and spit shined your boots? That, and... That's exactly right. <laughs> and, and I was. I got married while I was on a drill field. Wow. Exact same thing. I'd go home after I'd get off at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock at night. I'd go home. I would go in. I would press my uniform, I'd redo my boots, spit shine my boots again, spit shine my shoes again, and then I'd go in and get a shower. And by that time, it's almost 12 or 1 o'clock, oh and gosh. I was up and I was back at work before Reveille at 5 o'clock the next morning. Oh, yeah, I can, I can remember 
and I'm not exaggerating either. I can remember one time in third in in the first phase, about the third week out there marching a platoon, we was practicing drill out there on a parade ground out there, and I can remember falling asleep walking. And I woke up, and the platoon was halfway down the the parade, the parade ground, still still marching at port arms. I went running up there like nothing happened, and continued calling Katie. But I did. That's that's how tired you were. Oh, that's cool. It that's was. Great. It was. It was like that. Oh my gosh. You know what's funny is that it 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 doesn't. There's not even a doubt in my mind that that's absolute God's honest truth. There's it's like, oh come on, no way that no that no doubt in my mind. I watched those guys. I never saw, oh. I never saw my platoon sergeant or my sergeant instructor with a scuffed shoe or boot. Never, never saw them with a nope. wrinkled with a wrinkled blouse or nope. trousers. Those guys looked like walking, talking Marine Corps recruiting posters every yeah. time you were around them. Um, you know what you know what we used to do was that we'd take our uniform, we'd get these cans of Scotch Guard, uh-huh. and man, we'd Scotch Guard the daylights out of them uniforms in our cover. So then, when it rained, that water just run off of you, and 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 you could just kind of see it. I mean, the province never really showed, but you could tell they think, "Oh my God!" Even the water runs off these guys, you know. <laughs> so we, we used to do that. Yeah, and you know that you can actually you can actually smell fear. I mean, when you pick up a platoon and you have all those, let's say you start off with sixty in that squad mm-hmm. bay, and they're all sweaty and it's nasty in there, and you smelling all that that uh, new uh, uniforms and so forth, and you can actually smell the fear in those those privates. And then if one or two of them get sick, you know, and and then you don't clean it up, and it stays there for most of the day. Oh yeah, that's that's some good times in first phases. That's I used to times. love those first uh, few days of pickup. Amazing. I mean, you could see good the times. fear in their eyes. You know, <laughs> like big old eyeballs and stuff. So they'd show up, and you'd keep them awake for probably the first thirty-six hours or so as well, right? Oh yeah, you do. Okay. And let me. Well, let me. You actually I guess... do. I mean. It, 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 Go ahead. Okay, I was gonna say. I guess let, let me ask it this way too. You know, people people think of it. They they've seen Full Metal Jacket, or they've seen um, an officer and a gentleman, which is that's really crap because you know talk back to your drill instructor and see how far you go in OCS. Right. <laughs> but uh, um, but I yeah. think I think something like uh, Full Metal Jacket was one of the most realistic uh, movies that I've seen. But but people kind of look at it a little askance and go well you know what so it's this big hazing program to get into this fraternity but but that's not it your purpose is is to break people down to uh to forget their old ways and to to develop new habits and self-discipline from the ground up right i mean can you talk about that a little bit how what what your purpose is and what you were taught for uh for accomplishing that mission yeah, the methodology. The mytholo- yes, absolutely. Mytholo- I mean, yeah. you, you hit the nail right on the head there. It's like exactly what we do. You break them down so they're not individually. You break them as far as you can break them down. Then you start building them up as a team. And and I know a lot of people frowned on that. And it, it even got to a point, even before I la- left, there was no such thing as mass PT. Well, to me, mass PT, it worked, you know. 
because someone messes up and then the whole platoon had to pay. All right. Then before long, you learn how to work as a team and you don't want to mess up because you don't want to make the, you know, your friends to have to be P10 for your mess up. So you really get that peer pressure and stuff. And then before long, you start working as a platoon or as a team, they start pulling together and stuff. And, and it's nothing more exciting to see a platoon that, that was a bunch of individuals. And then about after the rifle range, they really start coming together. And as a platoon and man, you can hear them marching the child, you know, and they look so crisp. And when they sound off, I mean, you proud of them, you know, they proud of themselves, but of course you never let the recruits know that you're proud of them to, to you. They're still, uh, Sleaze balls and, and scumbags, you know. <laughs> I mean, you never tell them they're doing anything good until, until, you know, maybe at the end. And really, as an assistant drill instructor, that wasn't your job. Your job as an assistant drill instructor would be the biggest asshole you could be and stay within the guidelines. And the senior drill instructor, he played the role. He was hard, but he played the more the role of the daddy, we would call it, okay. where he would actually talk to the privates once they get about second phase, last to second phase, first to third phase, he would talk to him, you know, a little bit, tell him a little bit about the Marine Corps and different things. And he would build that loyalty up towards him and those drill instructors and the drill instructors work for him. And and then them private them privates do anything in the world. If somebody asked them something, they ain't gonna say a word. You know, I mean, we didn't go and beat privates or nothing like that. I'm I'm happy to say that. But I guarantee you, we PT the daylights out of them. You know, I mean, the the military have what they call a standard operating procedure, and, and you can only PT a recruit for so long, and so forth. Or you know, you can wind up getting in trouble for that. And you know, we we use that SOP as a guideline. And um, you know, I, I've got to say that all the platoons I worked down there, I was happy with every one of them that we put out. You know, I, I did the best job I could, and I thought we put out some really good flying recruits down there. Uh, I'm not real sure how things are going down there now, but I know it's been a lot of changes, but a lot of changes in the Marine Corps here lately. So I don't know. Right. And, uh, but I really enjoyed my time down there. All right, uh, Gunny Go, I got a, I got a philosophical question for you. Okay. Uh, so you, you worked at Paris Island. Uh, how many years were you a drill instructor at Paris Island? You got there in se- December of 74 with Paris- school. How long were you there? I left there. I left December 74, and I left there December 76. I was at Paris Island, the tourist, two years. And then from there, I had a choice where I wanted to go in the Marine Corps after a successful tour on the drill field, and I wanted to go back to Quantico, Virginia, and I went back up to Quantico, Virginia, and being a drill instructor, I, I knew that's what's going to happen because that's why I wanted to go there. And I went straight to, to OCS there as a platoon sergeant drill instructor. And my first uh, company was the 102nd OCCs. I worked that for the winter. And then that summer, I went out at Camp Upshire, and I worked two uh, increments out there to PLCs. I came back in for the winter. I worked another OCC uh, program, and then for that summer, I stayed at Brownsfield, and I worked two senior programs as, okay. as a drill instructor. So I worked another two, two and a half years there at OCS okay, so as a that, drill instructor, too. So that, 
that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you, Gunny Go. Uh, So after being a drill instructor at Paris Island, when you were dealing with recruits, so basically you were dealing with 17, 18-year-old kids, you go up to uh, Quantico, and now you're a drill instructor for officer candidates. So these, these are individuals who are a little older, have more education, and they're trying to be officers in the Marine Corps. Tell me the difference in in the individuals and how did you, I mean, did you, was it different for you uh, to be a drill instructor for that group because they were slightly different? Tell me how that worked. Yes, it was. I I went up there, of course, coming straight from the drill field, man, I I was still wired, you know, and I got up there and and my very first company I worked, those 102nd, I was really went in there for the first couple of weeks, like a bowl of fire. And, uh, and, and it's different. Like you said, they're older, they're more mature. And up at the OCS, you, you, yes, you, you get that shock for about the first week. And that's about what we had about a week of forming first week. Then after that, it's, it's team building from right then on, cause they hold different billets and stuff. And you go and you evaluate those, them doing those billets. And you also, you know, you teach them drill and so forth, but they also go over to classes where other instructors teach them the class and you're there to pick them up and bring them back and, you know, you know manage them like that. But they take a big responsibility there. Well, on the recruit side, you told him when to go to bed. You told him when to get in the shower. You told him how he was going to lay in the rack. You told him how his rifle was going to sleep with him in the rack <laughs> and where up there at OCS. I mean, you more, once you told them what they expected, you let them to kind of take a little charge of themselves and you're there to guide them. But when they mess up, you're there to put the hammer down on them too. (laughs) And I think one of the biggest things that I think was a great tool for them, it was those, and y'all probably could uh, relate to this, was the peer evaluations. I thought those peer evaluations really helped a lot of water Cause there's nothing like your peers to tell you how screwed up you are. What, what do we call you know? them? What do we call and them? I think that, spear evals. Spear evals. Cause you were spearing the guys. <laughs> spear evals. Yep. So, so let me ask you this. And you know, oh, oh, I, go ahead, Gunny. Go ahead. I, I did. I did. will tell you this, that any prior service Marine that came up to OCS program, I, I rode them twice as hard as I rode the regular people because I expect for them to have known some of these things. So those simple mistakes, they messed up. I just say, all right, you college boys, obvious you ain't learned nothing. You know, yeah. I, I used to ride them pretty hard. So, so let me, let me give you my, uh, my take on it. And then I, I want to hear what you have to say. My, my take on OCS, I, I, I did the 10 week program. Uh, at Quant- in Quantico between my junior and senior year of college. Uh, I was a, ten- okay. I was a PLC and we, we had a yeah, few you're the combined. Yeah. yeah. Combined. And we had a few uh, former enlisted Marines in my platoon, which we leaned on heavily for, Hey, what, what, what are we supposed to do? That's kind of thing. But here, here's my take. My, my take is because I remember being completely exhausted on a daily basis, a lot of physical, a lot of physical activity every day to keep you, very uh, uh, fatigued. And then we were put in situations where we had to have, make decisions, you know, use teamwork, come up with a plan, you know, under fatigue. 
And so my, my take on it, you know, in retrospect was, um, you, you made it very difficult for us to function, to see how we, how we handled stress. Could we make a decision? And the other thing was, you know, we could quit. We, we could quit and say, you know what, I'm done. And we could leave. And whereas a recruit can't say I quit, right? That's correct. Recruit cannot say you can quit. But like you said there, at OCS and AOCS, they could DOR, which means drop on request. And be honest with them, we, we used to tell them that and put it in the back of the head all the time. Go ahead, boy, go ahead, DOR. That's what you want to do anyway. Why are you wasting my time? Why are you taking up my breath? That's right. You know, get on out of here. Why don't you quit? You always wanted to anyway. You know, we would ride them hard and stuff. And then when one would DOR, then then we'd laugh at him and the whole nine yards, you know. And the other the other officer candidates would see this too, and they think, oh, my God, I ain't going to DOR. But you know what's really the sad part of it? I, I had a couple of good, a good uh, candidates that went all the way up to the program, almost all the way up to commissioning, and they DOR'd. They decided they didn't want to do it. After getting all that far, maybe like a week before graduation. Wow. And, you know, I'm just like, oh. And, and I've talked to them, you know, I said, well, why? I don't understand this. They said, well, I had to prove it to myself, and I had to prove it to my dad that I could do this, you know? Wow. And I thought, wow. I, I, can't, I can't imagine nobody going through all that hurt and all that PT. And, and like you said, being so tired, you know, you don't know how you was going to function the next day. You'd be so tired, right. especially after running in those courses out there and humping those hills and, and doing all that, you know, going through the quigley and everything. I mean, you're dead beat. <laughs> yes, right. yes, very, so, very true. Gunny, go. What's the quigley? Describe that, please. The the quigley is where it's like uh, at, at Paris Island when a private didn't do real well or something. We'd send him out to what they call a one day motivation, and it used to be in those slimy, muddy ditch where they had to crawl through this ditch and and mud be all on their face, and they have their rifles and all their web gear on and everything, and they had to slime through there. It was, it was probably about 300 yards or more. Well, in OCS, they they had a uh, thing they called the Quigley, and it, it was part of, it wasn't for punishment or nothing or for motivation, but it was part of one of the courses where they would run these squad courses, and they would go underneath these uh crawl underneath these cupboards and smoke would be thrown and it'd be smoke all under that. And then they had to run what they call this ditch was the quickly and it's full of nothing but sand and mud and, and, and water probably up about your chin with mud and you just slime and belly crawl all the way through that. And then even on the end down there, you know, it's a bunch of sand you had to crawl through. It, it was, it was really, that wasn't that bad in the summertime except for the mosquitoes. But in the wintertime, when you had to break ice on that, that that was some rough times. Oh, and of course, being the, yeah, being a platoon sergeant and the sergeant instructor, too, I mean, you, you led, you know, you led from the front. Yep. And, and the uh, platoon commander, I mean, you led from the front. You you led your people through there. And where, you know, recruits, you didn't, you didn't really do that. You know, when they run the old course or the obstacle course, and the confidence course, you just stand back and evaluate, make sure nobody got hurt. But at OCS, as a platoon sergeant and the sergeant instructor, 
you are required to run every one of those courses along with those uh, candidates. What, so I got to jump in here, thinking of the Quigley. That was one of the things that almost got me to quit. I was as close as I ever came when they had this culvert really? in there. Do you do you remember the culvert yeah. in there? Yeah, I remember I having to go there through there. There was about two you, inches of air yeah. that you had and, to yeah, keep your it, lips it, up in there. Exactly. Right? You have to go through on your back and and to keep your head right. just above the water, and you're in this steel culvert and and some a hole. Staff NCO is standing on this culvert, beating on the goddamn thing with an axe handle. So you can't, you can't, your ear. I think my ears are still ringing forty years later. (laughs) And but I'm claustrophobic, and so having to put my head underwater and go through this culvert just pitch black. Oh yeah, scared the bejesus out of me. They call that a confidence maneuver. Yeah. Well, I got you know I got through it, but it was as close as I think I ever wanted to come. There was that, and then the other one that I remember was a candidate in front of me crawling through all this red Virginia mud, and he's just having a hard time yeah. struggling. And this master gunnery sergeant reaches. He's standing on the side, and he reaches over the wall. And he goes, "Here, candidate, I'll hold that for you." And, you know, give me your rifle. I'll hold that for you. And the candidate reached up and handed him that rifle. What do you think happened to him, Gunny? Oh, no. (laughs) I can only imagine. Uh Oh, Oh, I'm sure he paid dearly for that. He did indeed. I'm sure he did. You never give up your weapon. Oh, my gosh. That's right. He never did. You know, not not at uh, OCS, but AOCS. We used to find a rifle unlocked, and we'd take it out there, and we would uh, field strip that thing, and we, we would dig down about four foot or something. And, and what we called it, we had a sand pit down there. We'd dig down about four foot, and we'd bury all those pieces in there. Then we'd smooth that sand back. And then when that, that uh, candidate came and said, sir, uh, the candidate's rifle's missing, then we'd have that whole uh, – that whole platoon get out there looking for that rifle. They'd be out there digging and everything. And I, I've known sometimes that it's taken three hours for them to find that thing. Okay, I, I you you just it's a great segue, Gunny. Go. Here's my next question. So, Marine OCS, Navy AOCS. Uh, did you see any difference in um, well your 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 customers uh, between uh, Quantico and Pensacola? Yes, I did. Uh, you know, at OCS, it was more, it was more, everything was geared more on, on tactics, you know, because everybody was leaving there and they were going out to TBS out there, you know, for further tactics and everything was kind of geared towards, you know, the, the ground side, you know, doing compasses, map reading, squad maneuvers, and the whole nine yards. Right. Where down there at AOCS, you know, it was, it was more of them getting indoctrinated into the way of the military and putting that pressure on there and seeing if they're going to be able to handle all that pressure when they're up there flying those airplanes, taking those big three tests and so forth. And I'll be honest with you, at AOCS, we hammered them. I would say we hammered them twice as hard as we did at OCS. We were rough on those boys. That warms the cockles of my heart to hear you say that. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Yeah, you figured o, you figured OCS, let's say the SOP was maybe, let's say, three inches thick or six inches thick. Down there at, at uh, Aviation Officer Candidate School down there, 
it, it was maybe a half inch thick. All right. So what I'm saying, you you could just PT the daylight, scream and yell at them. And I don't want to say hazing because that's against the SOP. But down at Aviation Officer Kennedy School, there was no such thing as hazing. You know, you're just not allowed to put your hands on them. Sounds like you had a lot of leeway. Oh, yeah, you did. You're just not allowed to put your hands on them or hit one of them or, you know, do something crazy like that. But you got to understand the drill instructors at AOCS, they are drill instructors that have already had a successful tour as a drill instructor at Paris Island or San Diego before they ever come to AOCS. Yeah, these are seasoned. So the ones who get at AOCS, when I was down there, they either senior staff sergeants or gunnery sergeants. So, you know, they're a little more mature uh, on things like that, you know, and knows about what you can do and what you cannot do, you know, to the point of, you know, we never hurt no one when it was down there. But I guarantee you, we, we rode them hard. We pt them hard. And we was on them every minute of the day. I mean, they were just, of course, we, we would leave around 6, 6.30 at night, and they'd have it to their self. But they they spent a lot of time getting ready, studying, getting ready for the next day, because our uniform had to be, we got, uh, you know, top notch also. And they all working for what they called an RLP. And that's where they have their first room uh, and uniform inspection, room lock and personnel inspection the fourth week. And they all are shooting to get what they call their tapes to send as secure. And what that means is that they'd be able to go on liberty on the weekend. They'd be able to go out and see their wives go on liberty on the weekend. But if they didn't pass that inspection, then they wouldn't have another chance until their six weeks and during their eighth week. And it's, the whole time I was down there, I had two classes that, that got their tapes the fourth week only to turn around and lose them in the six weeks because they got all salty after they got them. They thought they, their, their crap didn't stink. And then oh on the six-week inspection, they, they looked bad. But we took it right away from them. And matter of fact, I even took them back one of my classes. I even took them back to Coopyville, as it was called, their first week indoctrination. I made them get out of the uniforms, put back on those green settees, <laughs> put that chrome dome on the head. And for the next week, I marched them back and forth to their classes like that in front of all the all their peers and all the other senior classes and even their ju- junior classes under them. I rolled their guide arms up, their flag in the whole nine yards. You think they like that? Oh, no. But they'll uh, still tell you the bidet. That's probably the worst thing that ever happened to I, them. I know the answer to that question. Well, I guarantee you that next instance, that next inspection, they was top-notch. They was ready to go then. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love I, – you probably can tell, but I love – the best tour I ever had in the Marine Corps was a, at Aviation Officer Candidate School in Pensacola. I was there for four years. Oh, my. The normal tour is three years, and I extended for a, for a year, and I was the chief drill instructor down there for almost a year before I uh, – Picked up Master Sergeant out of the eligibility zone, and I went to Hawaii as a motor transport chief, but I didn't want to be a Master Sergeant. Then I redesignated to a First Sergeant, and I went to India Company 3-3, and I found myself at Bridgeport on the side of the cliff, putting push-ups, tied off, repelling, and all that, you know. That's but, awesome. I, yeah, AOCS was, it was great. And, you know, I, I used to 
hear some of the craziest things down there. Some of the drill instructors saying, like for instance, they would. I used to tell a tell a uh, candidate, son, you know, if your brain was gasoline, there wouldn't be enough there to power a piss motor scooter around a Cheerio. <laughs> See. <laughs> Yeah, I'm telling crazy stuff like that. Listen, uh, you 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 must have read my mind, Gunny Go, because my next question <laughs> to you was going to be, okay, I I recall after you know the stress of the first five or six weeks of OCS was over, my my situational awareness got really big, and I started listening to other to everything, and I could hear drill instructors from other platoons you know screaming and yelling and saying things and they could have been stand-up comedians just like that that little that little glit that little piece you just said it was that over and over where these sayings came from and how funny they were but you couldn't you couldn't laugh out loud because if somebody heard you laughing it was like a magnet you were going to get three drill instructors on you right yeah you would and you you, you know i know I, I just come up with some crazy things too like fences when you Teach dress right dress. You know the last the last man, the last man on on the file down there. He turns his head to the right, but he doesn't put his arm up because there's no one to put interval for, right? Right. And I had a candidate always stick his arm up there in the beginning, and I told him I said, "Oh, uh, candidate so and so." So I said, uh, "Let me guess. You got Patrick Swayze standing beside you, right?" He said. Sir, then you got Patrick Swayze standing beside you, right? Sir, the candidate don't know what the drill instructor's talking about. Well, son, you got your arm up, and and I don't see no one there, and and I thought maybe you was reminiscing back to the movie Ghost, and Patrick Swayze (laughs) was standing beside you, and I just didn't know it. You know, and you come up with crazy stuff like that, or or you would ask him, said, son, did your mom have any kids that uh, lived... (laughs) <laughs> and they would think for a minute, well, yes, sir. I said, it's too bad. She should have pinched your head off at birth. <laughs> or either the best part of you ran down your daddy's leg, son. You know, I'd tell him stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know why you wouldn't. <laughs> right. Oh, God, I love it. Oh, I love that. And, boy, I'd, I keep, a straight, I'd keep a straight face, and they'd keep a straight face, too. But, you know, inside it was busting up. Some oh, yes. busting up and laughing. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Well, yes. it was always it was really funny when it was happening to somebody else. Not not yes. so much when it was happening to me. Never, no, never funny when it was happening to you. <laughs> right. God help you, like you say, if you get caught laughing, oh God help you. Oh, well, it was a magnet. Yeah. yeah. You got a joke? You want to share it with all of us? I had one. I had one. Uh, I had one uh, candidate down there. His dad was an admiral, and oh my gosh! I actually, I got a picture of me chewing him out. I rode him so hard. I called him Admiral Boy. I, I called him everything, you know. Well, your dad be so proud of you on the Admiral Boy, you know. Instead of calling them candidates, I used to call them candidates. Come here, candidates. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we had a great time down there. And and while I'm talking about that, if you don't mind, i like to take a minute and, and, and just mention my friend that just passed away. Well, please he do. was a draw instructor. His name was Roger Thixton. He was a retired first sergeant. Vietnam veteran, Iraq veteran, or Desert Storm, and um, he had a Purple Heart. And we was at drill instructors at Paris Island together in the early 70s. 
And then when we got to Pensacola, was drill instructor at Pensacola. And, you know, we, we were good friends at Paris Island, good friends there and stuff. He retired first sergeant. And uh, just here about three days ago, he, he passed away. And uh, he was like a legend down there. I mean, you can, you can ask any candidate down there in 1980s through the 84, and even the ones that wasn't there in 84, if they knew Gunnery Sergeant Thixton, and, and, and they were still shaking their boots. He was like the great Santini of AOCS. <laughs> I mean, you know, his name's going to be well known forever. But, you know, AOCS is a passing thing now because they no longer have AOCS. They, they've done away with it. They started the, in OCS, and it was at Pensacola there for a couple of years, and now they don't move that all the way up to Newport up there. So it's nothing down there. Once once this breed of people are gone, the drill instructors and the aviation officer candidates that, that's trained down there, it's going to be no more. Wow. There's no more AOCS anymore. And I think that's a very sad thing. Well, I'm not a high-ranking decision maker. I think that's a mistake. Big mistake. Yeah. I think so, too. A very big mistake. I, I think we did a, you know, a great job while we was down there putting the pressure on on those uh, candidates going through the program, you know. And uh, I, I've had I've, – I've stayed in touch with so many of them that, that calls me up and tells me, say, you know, uh, you saved my life. I said, well, what are you talking about, you know? Well, I had to make a split decision. He said, the first thing popped in my mind was, what would Gunny go do, you know? And I thought, wow, you know how great that is. And we have a uh, reunion down there at AOCS every two years. The next one is October of 2023. And uh, what we do, we go out and we have a uh, get-together on Friday night out there in town at O'Grady's or somewhere out there. And then we have a set-down formal dinner, coat and tie, at the Aviation Officer uh, Museum there at Pensacola, Florida, a big catered dinner to us and everything. And last last time we had over six six hundred people that attended. Holy cow! And uh, I mean, it, it's it's a great thing down there. So if y'all get a chance, y'all need to come down there this year. Well, my question is: Is, is that for drill instructors, or is that were also for the aviation candidates as well? It's mostly for the aviation officer candidates and the drill instructors and, and the candidates and the drill instructors' wives. I think uh, we had our last last time, I think we had, it was 14 drill instructors that attended from different eras and yeah. so forth. I've, I've gone to three of them, and I'm going to the next one, if the Lord's willing, in 2023. Uh, the last the last two, my, my class 0283. They, they like adopted me and I mean, they flew me in first class down there, put me up and, and they took care of me for two years. You know, I mean, we all this past year, we all got uh, reordered our new class shirts. And for the last reunion, we wore class shirts. And while we was out in Pensacola that Friday night, I fell. I had 20 of them there from that class. I fell 20 of them out on the sidewalk out there <laughs> and we and we marched. Down the Pensacola sidewalks by uh, O'Grady's down there, down <laughs> to the Seville Quarter. And boy, they were living it up. That is great. And I got to tell you, Fig, I don't know about you. Well, see, I've known, I've known Gunny Go since 1986, 1987. 
So I, I've met several Navy pilots over the years, including several at my company, and oh, they know him. Yes, of course, they do. He, he's a legend, and uh, yeah, and even the guy who did who thinks that you're talking about. Do what now? No, you. Who, they, he's talking, you talking about, about you. He's talking oh, about. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm oh, talking about you. you. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I didn't know. I didn't know Gunny Thixton. So, um, uh, but uh, God rest his soul. Thank you for honoring him. I, I've got to say uh, that, that was one of the things that President Reagan said. A lot of people go through lives wondering if they've made a difference. Marines don't have that problem. Uh, so I know that he made a difference in a lot of people's lives, as did you. Clearly, you have. I've met several men over the course of my career who who know you personally, and and went, "Wow, oh yeah, Gunny, go!" Well, thank you for your service. I'm gonna tell you about a little something that happened when when I was the chief drill instructor down there. The uh, I'm not gonna mention no names, but the commandant of the Marine Corps came down, and he was getting his retirement physical. Okay, well. There was a officer that was in charge of Matzik over Matzik over there. It was a colonel, and he called me in when he first took command over there, and he told me he says, uh, "I don't I don't believe Marines should be down here training uh, Navy people. They should have their own people, their own chiefs doing this, and and I really don't think y'all should be down here. And I'm going to see what I can do about getting y'all y'all out of here and so forth. Well." He, he lived next door to the school's captain down there, so they had already butted heads anyway. So anyway, the commandant came down for his uh, retirement physical there at Pensacola because he, he was retiring in, in Louisiana. All right? Well, yeah, I'm sure you picked up who it is Absolutely. by now. Absolutely. So anyway, anyway, I guess he tells the commandant that we're running wild over there at AOCS and that they should shut that program down with the Marine drill instructors and all that. Well, the commandant, the commandant had all of us drill instructors, was nine of us called, all of us over there in the little conference room, and he chewed our butt uh, one side and down the other. And uh, after it was over with, I, I told him, I said, sir, I said, I don't, I don't know where you got all that information from, I said, but that ain't the way it's happening. I said, I can tell you right now, we're not running wild as that as I guess you've been told. And then he didn't he didn't have much more to say to me. Well, then I, I get back over there, and this was on a Friday, Friday about noon. I get back over there, and about four o'clock, the the captain from schools command comes over, and he says, uh, says Gunnery Sergeant Goforth, he says. Uh, he said, Lieutenant Colonel, well, you can block their names out, right? Yeah, well, anyway, he he said the Lieutenant Colonel is coming from uh, RTR, Recruit Training Regiment, and then the uh, Major is coming from DI school, and they come in there, and they're going to observe Aviation Officer Candidate's training for one week. Well, I put two and two together. I know how that came about. All right, and it only took a couple hours for it to get put in thing. So the the the, the regimental commander from recruit training and, and the major from DI school they came down, all right, to observe us. Well, when they got down there, I already knew the lieutenant colonel. He was my battalion commander uh, before, 
when he was over at third battalion, he was my battalion commander and I worked for him as a drill instructor. And, uh, the major was a major DI school. He was one of the platoon commanders out at OCS and I worked with him <laughs> as a platoon commander. So both of them knew me and both of them knew how I was. All right. Well, they come and, and the, the, the colonel, he, he was there. He was there for probably one day. And then he said, well, he says, uh, I don't see nothing going on down here. He went around and he talked to all the, the big wigs, you know, checked in with all of them. And, and of course, Admiral was involved with it also down there. And he went and talked with all of them. And he come back to me and he, he, says, he says, I don't see nothing. I've heard nothing but outstanding things about y'all from the top on down. He said, I'm going to leave the major here. He's going to stay here the whole week with you. I said, okay. Well, we didn't do nothing different. We went to, like, everything goes on. We had a formal reception line where at, at the uh, night before graduation, you know, they come to the reception line, you shake their hand, you introduce them to the next person, you pass them on a whole nine yards. The major was involved in that. He went to one of the, the candidates' uh, class parties they have just before they graduate. He saw how they honored the drill instructors and how they looked up to the drill instructors, and he followed a... Uh, a class from NDOC, you know, through the first couple of days, he went up right. there for the revelries that they held and the PT sessions and stuff. Well, after it was all over with, of course, we, 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 we was great, you know, nothing was bad. Well, there was a change of command over at Matzik. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> there you go. I don't, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it's normal rotation or what, but someone else new came in there. Hey, uh, Gunny Go, did you, did you, when you were uh, assigned to Pensacola, did all the Marine Corps drill instructors, did you, for administrative purposes, belong to Matzig or did you belong to the Navy? Okay. Only thing Matzig did was kept our record. The okay. Navy, the Navy, the school's command captain, and the commander of the school, the commander of the school is the one who wrote the drill instructor's fitness reports. And the captain of the of the uh, the training command, he's the one with the reviewing officer. Okay. Matzik had no input on our fitness reports whatsoever. They had they could not tell us when to work, when not to work, or they had nothing to do with that. We reported straight to schools command. Only thing Max was involved with was just the safekeeping of our our military records, yeah. and that was it. Administration. And only. you know, yeah. like I paid it first thing or something. Sure. Yes, that yeah. was it. So they were, and for the listeners, Matzig is Marine Air Training Support Group, if I recall correctly. That's it. That's good, good job. That's Pete. correct. Yeah. <laughs> That's a three by five card way back in the brain housing group. <laughs> wow. Well, hey, uh, Gun, uh, Gunny, go uh, before uh, before things get a little crazy. I just want to say, it's first of all, it's been a true honor to listen to your stories. You brought back so many personal memories from my officer candidate school, uh, candidate school experience. And I want to say thank you for your service because I know that that's a lot of work and it, considering the amount of drill instructoring that you did over your 20 year career, see what 16 of the 20 years, <laughs> that's, that's massive. And my hat goes off to you all day, every day. Absolutely. Thank you. You've made the world a better place. I, I added it up the other day. I ended it up the other day, and I think it was like a total of eight years that that I was a drill instructor. And uh, 
you know, I spent a, I spent a year as a master sergeant. Then I spent like five years as a first sergeant, and uh, I was up for sergeant major. But when I was when I was over in Desert uh, Shields, I hurt my back. I came back, and I had to have back surgery. And I'll be honest with you, I got. Plus, I was in a flying squadron that probably the worst duty station I ever had, and happened to be my last one. And I was just disgusted, dusted, disgusted. And at the time, I just decided I'm just going to retire. So I had my 20 years. And uh, then I went all ahead after that and went to work for the Department of Corrections out here in Arizona. And I worked another 20 years. How about that? So. All right. I've, I've had I bet a good the prisoners time. didn't know what the hell hit them. <laughs> when a squared away That's Marine right. came walking down the passageway. Well, oh I don't know what you're looking at there, eyeballing me. But, but you know, you know, working with those prisoners, if they had it coming by, you know, the the policy and the regulations, I make sure they ha- they got it. Right. If they didn't have it coming, coming, they knew not right. to ask because they knew I wasn't going to give it to them. Right. You know, and, and I was the same every day. And, you know, they could live with stuff like that. Yeah. And um, a whole 20 years I was there, I never once got assaulted. And, and that's very hard to say in a prison for 20 years. You never was once assaulted. Now, I was in three different riots, but I was never I was never assaulted. Well, commanded the respect. And uh, as, as you command mine, um, uh, you have, you have uh, my total respect. We're, uh, we're pretty much near the end of the time, so uh, Gunny Go, I want to say thank okay. you again for your service. May God bless and keep you. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for honoring the Marine Corps and the Navy with your service. Everything you've done has made the world a better place. There's no doubt in my mind there's a lot of men out there who uh, – are walking around today who are better men for having had the uh, benefit of your of your instruction. So, yeah, simplify, gunny, go. I appreciate that very much, and really, thank you for having me on. No, it's has been a pleasure and an honor. It, it's been our honor indeed. So, yes, simplify, yes, gunny. Simplify. Simplify, do or die. Brother.